0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, My name is Chris. If I haven't met you, I'm the campus minister here. Uh, To quote Jay Z, um, that was not a Jay Z quote, it's coming after. Uh, To quote Jay Z, you could have been anywhere tonight, and you're right here. I appreciate that. Uh, Because I know Punch Brothers is happening tonight, and trust me, if I didn't have to be here, I would be there. Because that Chris Thiele is something to look at. Um, It's really nice to see you guys. Uh, A special welcome to you tonight if you are new, if this is your first time or one of your first times, or your friend or your girlfriend drug you, or your mom called and said you had to come. uh, It's really nice to meet you. Uh, We really do want to be a welcoming place. Everybody in this room is needy for God's grace, and so uh, you're welcome here with us. Uh, We're looking uh, in the book of Ephesians tonight, in Ephesians 5. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. Uh, We've been going through the book of Ephesians together and seeing how this gospel, this good news of Jesus, is meant to not just transform uh, the spiritual part of our life, but everything in our life. Even the really sort of boring, mundane stuff, the gospel is going to get in there and change us. And um, maybe you're from one of those families that's like really proud of being, you know, the Smiths or whatever. Um, Like if you've seen. Billy Madison, you know, the, o- the O'Doyles, you know O'Doyle rules. Um, maybe your family is the one that's like, they'll say things like, uh, you know, the Andersons always win at volleyball, or the Martins always try their best, or the Seals are always kind. Um, something weird like that that your family always says. We, as a family, are this certain way. Maybe that's your family. Uh, that's, that wasn't the family, the kind of family that I grew up in. We weren't really like that. We didn't have that kind of family dynamic. But I know some of you do. But now that my wife and I have two uh, daughters, we find ourselves saying all kinds of weird stuff like that, uh, especially at the playground. Okay, um, If you haven't been to the playground lately, the new thing to do if you're a kid, especially an overexcited young boy, is to go up the slide. Okay, Maybe you were that kid. Maybe you were the up the slide kid, and don't ever come to a playground where I'm at. Because clearly, that's not how this slide is supposed to be used, right? And so we'll say to our three-year-old daughter, honey, that's not how we use the slide, okay? That's not how we do it. Uh, And I'm I'm okay with that language, because I know one day it's going to be, well, honey, that's just not how we dress, okay? But, you know... But they let her dress like, well, that's not how we dress, okay? I don't care what anyone else lets their kid do. That's not how we dress. And tonight in this passage, Paul is coming to us and saying, "Hey, okay, look, God has saved you in Christ. If you're a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, he saved you. But he didn't just do that so he could take you to heaven, as wonderful and glorious as that is. He saved you so that you could be his child. Because he wants to be your father. Uh, he wants you to be in his family. He wants you to be really, really close. And Paul's coming to us tonight and saying, there's certain things that we do as children of God. There are certain things that we don't do as children of God. And I, this passage is pretty much all do this, don't do this. Okay? But as you're listening to it, don't forget the first thing he says when he says, look, you're beloved children. Now, do this. And I think if we have open eyes, open ears, open hearts, there's a lot of joy and wisdom in here, even as Paul tells us what we should do. So let's read in Ephesians chapter 5, when we read verses 1 through 21. You will see that we're stopping at 22, right before it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And I promise, we will get there next week. So there's a teaser for next week. If you've just been waiting to study that passage. This is the one about anyone that's sexually immoral won't inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So that's the one we're going to do tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things which they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Let's ask for God's blessing Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that it's been read, and we confess to you that that's enough, Lord. There's a lot here, and a lot of it is uh, perfectly crystal clear for us. Lord, your word um, can penetrate us, it can change us, but Lord, because you're kind, would you bless the teaching of it now, uh, drive it deep into our hearts, Lord, that we would want to imitate you, that we would love you, and Lord, we would have a deep and abiding sense uh, that you want us to be your children pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there's some characteristics here of what it looks like to be in God's family. Uh, if you're a believer, this is who you are. If you're not yet a believer, this is what could be for you. And there's three characteristics of God's family. Uh, we could say, you know, they're walk, walk in love, walk in uh, light, walk in wisdom. But that's, I don't really like that. I'm going to put it like this. In God's family, we don't like cheap sex. In God's family, we live in the light. And in God's family, we watch where we're walking. So first, in God's family, we don't like cheap sex. Look at verse 2. Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And the first thing that he goes to when he says, okay, I want you to walk in love, he thinks of the opposite of love. Kind of like the the evil twin sister of love, which is lust. Okay? Okay? It's a very Christian-y word, lust. Uh, lust is basically the perverted disguise for love, for true love. It's kind of like lust uh, is kind of like love. Lust is kind of like it drank polyjuice. I'm just trying to remember that word, polyjuice potion. My wife has been reading Harry Potter again and watching the movies, and I'm like, honey, you're only like 11 years late. Uh, but lust is, is, is like something that's drank polyjuice potion, right? It's pretending to be the real thing, and you have a sense that it's not really the real thing, but you can't quite put your finger on it, but eventually you're going to find out that it is a fake. Uh, Lust disguises as love. It gives you the same feelings, the same butterflies as love, but it is not love. And Paul comes and says, don't do these lustful actions. He says, don't commit sexual immorality. Put away all impurity. Um... Put away these lustful sexual activities. And any time that I'm going to come to you and say, hey, don't do this sexual thing, the immediate question in almost everyone's mind is going to be, okay, but what's the line, right? Like, well, what can, I mean, we, can, what can we do, right? I know we can't do it, but what can we do? What's the line? The Bible has one clear, very consistent ethic on sex. It's very simple. Uh, A lot of parts of the Bible are very confusing. This one is not. Uh, That is chastity outside of marriage. Okay? Complete chastity outside of marriage. And faithfulness within marriage. The Bible only envisions sexuality happening at all within one man and one woman in a loving and faithful marriage. So if you're wondering what the line is, well, are you married? Okay, well there's the line. The Bible only envisions that any sexual expression outside of a one husband, one wife marriage that's faithful and loving is what the Bible is going to come call sexual immorality. Everything. Everything that you're thinking of uh, is sexual immorality. Immorality. And, and is that because God is stingy? Like, you think it's because God's stingy? Like, God doesn't want you to be happy? God doesn't want you to express yourself sexually? Or maybe this, the Bible is just kind of antiquated, right? It's kind of old fashioned. You know, this is before the sexual revolution, right? Uh, maybe that's what the Bible is all about. I, I would like to argue with you that that's not the case. The Bible is so exclusive about sex because the Bible has a way higher view of sex than you do and than I do. The Bible is going to come to us and God's going to say to us in his word that, the, that sex is so much more powerful and important than you think it is. And that is precisely why it is so exclusive. And we're going to look next week more at marriage in particular um, But I just want to say tonight that sex is really powerful and important because sex is about God. Okay, that sounds a little bit maybe awkward. Um, Maybe that's not what you think about when you're like, man, it's going to be great get married have sex. And it's going to be like about me doing theology with my wife or husband. Um, The act of sex exists for, of course, producing children. But also so that God can show us in a very explicit and a very intimate way how much he loves his people. Sex is really important for that reason. Because in the sexual act in a marriage, God is saying, I intimately and truly love you and want to be with you. And I'm showing that to you right now. And the reason why I'm saying that is because Jesus comes and tells us, look, There isn't any sex in heaven. There aren't husbands and wives in heaven. And the reason why is because in heaven, we behold God and we know how deeply and intimately loved we are by God, and we don't need this sign. Sex is like a big billboard. You know those terrible billboards that are like, I love you, and then God underneath? Um, They're terrible. Uh, but sex is a sign. It's a symbol. And it's like a big billboard that God's saying, I want to be with you. I love you intimately and truly. I love you this much. So can't you see now why sex is so incredibly valuable? And you see now why sex is so pervasive, why people think about it so much, because it is this act that tells us, yes, you're okay, you're affirmed, you're loved by God. And Paul is telling us in this passage, look, anything that's happening outside of that one husband, one wife marital union is an imposter. It's just not the real thing. Um, I defy anybody in here. Look, and I'm not coming to you as someone that, like, did this all right, Okay. Like, I'm right there in it with you of people that have messed up and misused sex, okay? So we're all in plain evil uh, even playing field here. But have any of you that have engaged in, in sex either by yourself, at the computer, with someone else, ever walked away going, yeah, that's what it was supposed to be. That was really and truly gratifying. Um, we've been taught that sex is a way for us to enjoy ourselves and to express ourselves. Uh, if you want to enjoy and express yourself, go do karaoke. Okay, uh, It will feel less complicated later for you. Uh, probably. Um, it's an imitation. It's a fake. Is, is sex inside of marriage like all of a sudden perfect and it's amazing? No. Okay, it's still, we're still sinful. Married people still hurt each other. They still degrade each other. They still use each other. But God says, I'm giving sex in this one particular place so that one husband and one wife can say to each other and indeed say to the world, this is how much God loves you. So if you're engaged in some kind of a sexual action, you are saying something about God to the other person, and to yourself, what are you saying? Are you saying God may be here tomorrow, he may not? God may help me feel loved, but he might just make me feel empty tomorrow. What are you saying with your sex? Um, It's interesting, Paul's talking about sex there, He's like sexual immorality, impurity, and then he says covetousness. And you're like, okay, that's random. Okay, I didn't think you were going to go there with sex after you called us children first, but then you went to covetousness. Coveting is obsessing about what you want and you don't have. And you can see how that's related really intimately to sex, right? Um, We obsess about the thing that we want. Um, But just because you want it doesn't mean that you should have it. Like that is that's a, not a, a an unchristian or ungrace centered thing to say. Just because you want it, just because you're attracted to it, doesn't mean that you should sleep with it. I mean, seriously, I, I, I say that in kindness, and love. Um, you're called to chastity. It, just because you are obsessed with sex doesn't mean you need to joke about it all the time. Um, Paul comes in with some pretty harsh words about. Joking about it, but y'all, the more that you train yourself now to be obsessed with getting what you want from sex, okay, you make it about you, okay. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna go in order about what sex should be about, it's about God showing Himself to us, it's about the other person, and then it's about you, okay. That's a good, just like kind of gospel chart about how most things work. But the more that you make sex now, pre marriage about what you want to get out of it, y'all, you are destroying your marital sex. Please just understand that. And I don't say that. I'm not laying the guilt trip on you. I'm just saying it is so, so, so hard to get out of this mindset of when I go into a sexual situation, it's about me getting what I want. Okay? So just put that in the back of your mind. That cheapens sex. It doesn't glorify sex. You know, people say that, you know, the college campus is a sex-obsessed culture. And, like, I understand what they're saying. But I think Paul's coming to us here and saying, the problem isn't that you have too high of a view of sex. The the problem isn't that you think it's too important. The problem is that you think it isn't important enough. Uh, Look what he says in verse 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God is really serious about sexuality. Almost every place in the New Testament where they're like, hey, don't sin. Like, the first thing on the list is, like, don't have sex outside of your marriage. And also, as a sidebar, you may have grown up with someone, and maybe they were a Christian person, and they told you that sex was, like, wrong and dirty. um, Or someone may have taken advantage of you in some way, and I'm really sorry for that. Um, But sex is good, Sex is ordained by God. And Paul is coming and saying, don't take it lightly. Don't cheapen it. Don't t- "Don't let there be any filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking. Okay, I'm again, right there with you in the circle of just getting blown up by Paul here. Um, the way you talk about something is really how you feel about it, let's be honest. Um, don't take sex Lightly. Don't cheapen it. Um, And so the question is this. What's more valuable to you? What God can give you in terms of being loved and affirmed or getting off, if you're a guy, to put it crassly, with someone else or at the computer? Which is better? Which makes you feel Truly satisfied when you wake up. Um, are you going to settle for that? And if you're a girl, look, uh, look. Guys want to be wanted and desired too. Okay, so this is for all of us, but especially ladies. I know that you want some. You want someone to want you, and I, I get that. Um, but what do you want a guy to want you for? Have you given up thinking he'll love me and accept me for me and just thought, so, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, so i better just lead with my body. And maybe I can hook him with that and then he'll like me later. Um, please, there's a, there's a great bright Eyes song called Lover I Don't Have to Love. Um, it's a really good song, but it's really point. Don't go out portraying to people that you want a lover that doesn't have to love you. You are so much more important and valuable than that. Um, So anyway, that's about sex. We're all responsible for misusing it. But we all now have a response as children of God to protect it, to honor sex. And God God can, in your marriage, can redeem a lot of sexual brokenness. Not everything. It's not it's not heaven, okay? Um, but it's medicine. It really, it really is. Just remember that. In God's family, we don't like cheap sex, okay? That's cheap sex. We don't like that. It doesn't matter what the other kids are doing. We don't like cheap sex. All right. In God's family, we live out in the light. We live in the light. One of the difficult things about sex is that it's very private, right? So it can happen in the dark, right? Well, generally it happens, you know, in the dark. It happens behind <laughs> closed doors, hopefully. Um, considering most of you live in dorms. Uh, We can hide it. It's in the dark. And sin loves darkness. Sin loves to be under a rock. Sin loves to be in a closet somewhere festering. It loves secrets and whispers. But God says we are not to live like that as his children. Look what he says here uh, in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's these sexually immoral people for at one time you were darkness but you are light in the lord walk as children of light you used to be he doesn't say you used to be in darkness but now you're in light he says look you used to be darkness but now you are light we looked at this last week right putting on new, or the week before spring break putting on the new clothes Look, your old self doesn't fit. This new person is really who you are. You are really light. And basically what this means is uh, as children of God, we don't repress. We don't hide from who we really are. We come out and we allow ourselves to be exposed, to be honest before God. And that can be awkward. Some of you guys know this, right? You've become a Christian. And so you go, okay, I can't be the same person I used to be. I can't do all those same things. And now I'm in all these really awkward social settings, right? Because all my old friends kind of, it's like at the playground, again. Uh, my wife says, Georgia, that's not how we use the slide. But the awkward part is the other kid is still climbing up the slide, and his parents are right there. And, you know, we're saying, honey, we don't use the slide like that. And there's this awkward tension. Like, well, what's so wrong with using the slide like that? Why I you going to talk like that in front of my kid? Uh, some of you guys have felt that very very intensely. Oh, okay. So now, now you're, you're better, right? You're better than us. So you don't do that stuff anymore. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're old friends. Uh, some of us know that really, really all to well. It makes us feel very, very awkward to put on this new clothes to walk uh, in light. But what people don't know when they're looking from the outside and saying, Oh, yeah, well, you're just fake now. You've changed. That's not the real you. What they don't know is that light that's shining on them, it's, it makes them uncomfortable. Because suddenly, just by not getting hammered, and not hooking up, and not constantly gossiping all the time, you're saying to them, hey, I stopped doing that, and what you're doing is wrong too, and it makes them feel uncomfortable. But that light also shines in our heart. Uh, and this is really the kind of the point that I wanted to make The light of Christ, when we become children of God, we become light. We're born of light. Jesus, God is a burning fire, a consuming fire, and he lights us on fire. And suddenly that light shines in our hearts, and it shows the shadows and the dark parts in our heart. Uh, I remember when I was kind of hearing the gospel and was not yet a Christian, which happened for me when I was in college. Um, I remember always being really confused because right? there was always these two people in the Bible. There was like righteous people and there was unrighteous people. And I remember reading Psalm chapter one. And if you ever read Psalm 1, it talks about these two kind of people. There's the unrighteous people, okay? And they do all these you know, terrible things. Um, and then there's the righteous person. He's planted by streams of, of living water and all this. And I remember being very confused. and then I remember reading it one time after I think I had started to understand this whole Jesus thing. And going, because I would look at it and go, well, I'm not the unrighteous person. Man, but I'm really not like this righteous person either. But I remember reading and going, you know what? I think I might be the unrighteous person. <laughs> that had never, ever occurred to me. The light of the gospel had never shined in on me in a way and exposed me for who I really was. And I think that was the first time I ever realized, I think I'm a Christian. Because I realized all of a sudden, I'm a mess. I'm not a righteous person. If you have been feeling that way, if you've been feeling weird because, you know, you used to do certain things and you felt fine about it, but now when you do them, you feel like really yucky and guilty, whatever it is, okay? There's probably as many of those situations as there are people in the room, you know, gossiping, you know, all, the, all these kinds of things, holding grudges, uh, using people. You used to kind of do that and get away with it, but now something inside of you won't let you get away with it. Uh, if that's happening to you, uh, that may be the Holy Spirit shining into your heart, into the dark places. And my encouragement for you would be don't run away from that. Uh, you don't love the darkness anymore. Um, don't deaden it. Don't wash it. It away. Uh, I, every time I there's this one church that I preach at a lot, and they sing "Shine Jesus Shine" a lot. I don't think you guys know that one. It's pretty kind of hokey and old. Shine Jesus Shine, um, and it's like this happy song. But I'm always like a little bit conflicted when I'm singing it. I'm like, oh, do we really want this to happen? Uh, if Jesus comes down here and starts shining, uh, a lot of us are going to be in really uncomfortable situations. <laughs> Uh, Because things are going to be revealed about us that show the yucky parts. Um, But be encouraged in this. If Jesus is shining into your heart and he's exposing those things, Jesus never reveals something that's broken without promising to fix it. If you come to Christ and you go, I didn't even know this thing was here, Lord. Um, I don't know what to do. He will come in and bring healing. He'll fix it. So in God's family, we don't like cheap sex. In God's family, we live out in the light. And in God's family, we watch where we're walking. We keep our head up. In darkness, you're always bumping around, right? Bumping into something you have no idea where you're going. To continue the playground metaphor one more time, uh, you know, part of the problem is with a kid is running around, he's not watching where he's going. That kid is a detriment to the playground. And it's going to hurt my child. Um... My daughter actually has a broken leg right now. She gets the cast off tomorrow. Thank God. Um, But, you know, just playing and the kid didn't know where he was. Uh, That's what happened. You say, hey, watch. Watch where you're going. Look out for where you're going. In God's family, we cultivate self-awareness. Look at what Paul says there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then he says there, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be aware of your going, understand what the will of the Lord is. And half of you guys were like, oh, man, I've really been trying to figure this thing out. You know, this what's the will of God? What's God's will for my life? Okay, I get a lot of questions like that. I just don't know what I should do. What's God's will for my life? Um, but Paul's now saying, know what the will of God is. And that's this ethereal, really mysterious thing that I don't know that I'm supposed to know, but I keep getting really frustrated because I don't know what God's will is. Um, I'll sum it up to you like this. Uh, this is God's will for you. Everyone can see it. It's revealed to you. And basically what it says is this, love God more than you love anything else. Love other people. Like you love yourself. And do what you want. Okay. I remember the first time I heard that, it was liberating for me. Wait, wait, wait. Do what I want. You mean there's not, there's not like a passage in here that's going to tell me exactly which job to take. Or which internship to take this summer. Or which person to date or which person to marry. Love God more than you love anything else. Love people like you love yourself and do what you want. That is the will of the Lord. It's all in here. Everything that God wants you to know for faith and godliness is in this book. Okay. Look to it. And this is how Paul illustrates it. Notice what he says there. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He contrasts drunkenness and being filled with the spirit. Uh, some of us have a really clear idea of what drunkenness means. Um, some of us have grown up and known drunks, known people that are uh, attached to alcohol. And regardless of how you feel when you go out to the bar, being drunk isn't really all that fun, okay? Let's just be honest. Like, I mean, I mean really being hammered. It isn't really fun for you, or the fun is very momentary. Uh, It gets really not fun later. Um, But it's also not fun and safe for other people that are around you. When when you're drunk, you're just kind of unaware of what you're doing. You're unaware of how what you are doing affects other people. My Uncle Jack uh, is an alcoholic. And I remember as a child, it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, my cousin and I were playing Dr. Mario which was a great classic Nintendo game. And, uh, with, but it's all about arranging pills. It's uh, probably not really appropriate for children. Um, but we were playing Dr. Mario, and my Uncle Jack was passed out on the couch, just stone drunk, hungover. And I remember he stood up in a pair of jorts, and that was it. And uh, he stood up, and he kind of stumbled around, and he turned back around to the couch, and he relieved himself onto the couch. And then he laid back down. And went back to sleep being drunk being filled with wine uh, is the height of just a lack of self-awareness right you don't care about what you're doing you don't care how it affects other people and you are not fun but being filled with the Spirit notice what Paul says be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Being filled with the Spirit is is a it's a good and a joyful thing for you, and it helps others. Uh, one one thing I love when Nathaniel Sarah did a great job with the announcements. Well done. But when Nathaniel prays, at first I didn't really know what to think about it. But he would always say, "Lord, send the Spirit of wisdom." And I was always like, "Oh, that's a weird thing to pray." But I actually, grew to love it over time because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Notice he doesn't say, okay, uh, go fill yourself up with the Spirit. He's saying, be filled. Live out of the fullness of the Spirit that you have now. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom and clarity and self-awareness and a blessing to those around you. Last week, look, we really focused on this, but it's the point here too. What you're doing really affects other people. Really and truly care about that. The Holy Spirit gives us uh, wisdom and insight. And, joy. and look, I just want to close with this. I've been uh, reading a book, and it's been really challenging to me because he's, uh, it's a John Piper book, and he's talking about God being happy. And um, if I'm honest with you, I don't think that I really contemplate very often that's God, that God is happy. The other day I was driving with my wife, and I was like, "Sergeant, do you think God's happy? And she was like, uh, I think God has a lot going on. <laughs> um... <laughs> And okay, fair enough. Um, but the fundamental disposition of the Lord is joy. He's happy in himself without us. He has a perfect relationship with himself. And he is full of joy. Jesus says at the end of our life, if we serve him and we remain faithful to him, he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. But do you remember what he says after that? Enter into the joy. Of your master. The Holy Spirit here and now comes to bring that joy to us. The problem with sin is it always over promises and under delivers. In all these areas that we looked at, you think it's going to be awesome, and the next thing you feel like crap or you need more. God wants to come and say, Well done, enter into the joy of your father. He wants you to be his child. Doesn't that smell sweeter than whatever else you've got going on? Isn't that better? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, we thank you that we, if we are in Christ, uh, are called your children. Lord, thank you uh, for loving us enough. Uh, Lord, not only to bring us into your family, but to hold our hand, to teach us. How to walk. Lord, teach us uh, what it means to be your children. And Lord, uh, if we don't know what it is to be your child, if we've not felt that sweetness and joy, uh, Lord, if there's anyone in here that that is the case for them, Lord, would you spend your spirit to be with them, convict them, and give them comfort in Christ's name? Amen.